Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes if you can give it to me. We're going to bring our broadcast partners to the broadcast table to help us understand current events in light of biblical prophecy. We have Ken Timmerman standing by. We'll talk about a pulpourri of current events, geopolitical activities around the world in just a moment. I'm here in temporary studios in Hudson, Florida. Now that's on the west coast of the state of Florida. We're going to move to the center part of the state on Sunday. After the broadcast, Judy and I head over to Riverview, Florida, just north of Tampa, Florida, and the Providence Baptist Church. Pastor David Goforth has invited all of us to a one-day prophecy conference. We have four services on Sunday. 9.30, by the way, will be the worship service. That's their main service. And then at 11 o'clock, we have a combined Sunday school class we'll be speaking to. 5 o'clock in the afternoon, it's Prophecy Q&A, and then my teaching begins at 6 o'clock. This will be a great opportunity if you're in Central Florida to come study the prophetic Word of God with us. Looking forward to being there in Riverview at the Providence Baptist Church. Well, it's great to be here in Florida getting some R&R. We're on a beautiful little outlet that leads into the Gulf of Mexico, and we're here just relaxing, Judy and I, after 10 tedious days out in the southwest there in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. We were there for the VCY Radio Network, and we had some great, great meetings, conferences each and every night, then travel during the day to the next one, but uh, do need a bit of R&R here in Florida, so grateful to be here. Well, last time we talked with Ken Timmerman, he was on his way to the slopes there in Vermont. Did you have a good time skiing there in Vermont, Ken? I did. Thank you for asking, Jimmy. Uh, with my uh, 30-year-old daughter and uh, an old friend from college, uh, now we're back in the Jacksonville area in Florida here. Well, I'm glad you did not break any bones, buddy, because we need you as we interact on the geopolitical activities happening around the world. Let's get underway. Iran's supreme leader is vowing that the satanic U.S. peace plan will not be realized. Boy, these guys, they never give up attacking anything and everything that is not within their philosophical understanding of operating in the world, do they? Well, that's right. And uh, I, I think it is predictable that the Iranian regime will oppose anything that the United States is doing in the region. And this peace plan is galling to them because they see themselves as the state leading the charge in favor of the Palestinians against Israel. And for the United States to propose a real peace plan, I mean, not just fluff, but something that really is out of the ordinary, that has not been thought about before, this idea of, of joining Gaza to the West Bank. It is a new idea that has the authenticity of a builder behind it. You know, here is President Trump, a man who is used to building things. He said, okay, let's build a tunnel and link those two together. Nobody that I'm aware of has really put forward such a plan with the realism and the concrete detail that President Trump has done. So it's not surprising to see uh, Khamenei calling it satanic because he realizes that uh, Iran's going to lose. 
You know, that's an interesting thought, realizing that this satanic plan may not work. This is not, of course, a satanic plan. It's a great effort to try to bring coexistence to the Israelis and the Palestinians. But there's a lot of opposition. The Palestinians, of course, rejecting it from the outset. The Iranian Kunz force, which is the Jerusalem force in opposition, they say they'll bring it down. But also Iraq and Syria opposed to the plan. They vow to oppose it. This is going to be a pretty tough deal to make it happen, even though Donald Trump is the deal maker. Of course, this is going to be difficult. Nothing in the Middle East is is simple, Jimmy. And the thing that's the most difficult of all has always been to create bridges and to create peace deals or peace treaties. Uh, I can remember in Lebanon in 1983 when the then-president, Amin Jamayel, was negotiating with Israel and the United States for a peace deal. And uh, he was opposed uh, in his own country by the radical Islamists and by the Iranians. And they won. And he lost, and peace lost, and Lebanon has been plunged into several wars as a result of that. Now, will the Quds Force, Iraq and Syria, be able to scuttle this deal through terrorist attacks or outright military uh, attacks? I tend to doubt it, and I'll tell you why. I, I think that Israel is getting too much support today from the Gulf states, and in particular Saudi Arabia, and the Saudis have an interest in seeing this peace plan work. And they will fight against the Iranians along with us. The Israelis, I don't think, are particularly afraid of military operations against them by Iran, even should Iran unleash its 100,000-plus missiles in Lebanon. I think the Israelis feel that they would have such overwhelming support from neighboring countries as well as the United States that they could resist even that kind of an onslaught. Obviously, we'll see, but uh, right now to have uh, the Iraqis oppose it just shows that they're in the pocket of the Iranian regime. Uh, Iraq has not joined the more recent battles against Israel. They sent a division there in 1973, but not in the wars since then. And Syria also is a client state of the Iranian regime. So this is what you're seeing. You're seeing the Iranian alliance or the Iran and its allies opposing the United States, Israel, Saudi Arabia, the Gulf states, Egypt, Jordan, and every other moderate Arab state, including Morocco and uh, Tunisia. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Netanyahu, having been there at the White House to stand with the president as he presented his peace plan for the Middle East, after that meeting, Netanyahu got on a plane, flew to Moscow, Russia, to meet with Vladimir Putin, and explain the Middle East peace plan. Now, let me put this caveat in. While Putin was in Jerusalem last week, he also went over to Bethlehem talking with the Palestinian leadership, and the Palestinians want Putin at the table, the peace table. Is that a possibility? And indeed, why did Putin get the information from the prime minister? Prime minister think that Russia has to be a part of this peace plan or not? Well, it's very interesting, and, and Putin, uh, in everything he does, uh, has been strategic, trying to expand Russia's influence in the region. You know, during the Cold War, uh, the Soviet Union tried to be a broker many times, and they were never really successful at doing that. Now, with the Cold War over, with Putin reestablishing a kind of Russian autocratic form of government, 
you see him uh, uh, working with both sides, and he truly has become something of an intermediary. The Palestinians talk to Putin. They won't talk to us, but they talk to Putin, and Putin talks to Netanyahu. So it's very interesting to see Putin operating as an authentic uh, uh, negotiator and intermediary between the Palestinians and Netanyahu. We'll just have to see whether he is sincere about that or whether he's trying to make trouble. We cannot leave the entire region without hearing from Taya Berdawan, who is the president for life, I would imagine, there in Turkey. He says the Trump peace plan is ignoring Palestinian rights and legitimizing Israel's occupation. There's no such thing as occupation, but he has to get his word in, too, also, doesn't he? Well, that's right. And it's no surprise to see uh, Erdogan taking, staking out this position. Uh, he has been uh, a big supporter of the Muslim Brotherhood. He himself comes out of that, um, uh, you know, out, out of that maelstrom, and uh, he sees the Muslim Brotherhood as the primary force in the Palestinian territory that he's going to support. So, of course, he is going to oppose the peace plan. He's going to try to set himself up as the big supporter of the Palestinians. What will be interesting down the line will be to see whether Turkey is in conflict with Iran, where they're both trying to, they're vying for leadership of the Muslim world, or whether they decide to work together. Today they seem to be working together, they have common interests, but I would not rule out in the future that Turkey and Iran have a split over their ambitions to be the sole leader of the Islamic world. And that's almost a foregone conclusion that will happen. Ultimately, though, the Bible says they will join forces to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Let me just change the subject a bit. Prince Charles was in Jerusalem there for that Holocaust forum that took place, first time since 1948, a royal member of the great British Empire has visited officially the city of Jerusalem and the state of Israel. However, now the prince is saying he's ready to visit Iran and is praising the Iranians. Is that good or is that bad, Ken? Gosh, every time you think that Prince Charles is going to um, drive off to oblivion, he goes out and does something stupid again. Uh, look, this, and it would be his second trip to Iran, because he already went to Iran once in 2004 after the bomb earthquake, B-A-M earthquake. Uh, so this is his first trip to Israel. Britain has a horrible history as the colonial power in Palestine uh, and, you know, preventing Jewish uh, escape, escapees from the Holocaust. And here Prince Charles shows up at the Holocaust Remembrance, the 75th anniversary. I'm sorry. Uh, somehow it doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy about the British uh, royal family. And of course, with the exit finally being completed, the Brexit for Great Britain, it's official now. Of course, they've got about 11 months to continue to negotiate their ties together for the future. Ken, thank you so very much. Appreciate the opportunity to be able to chat with you each and every week. You give us great insight. It's needed as we try to understand how current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We'll talk again next week, Ken. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update. This is an essential report. You need to hear it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, not in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but in Hudson, Florida. We're right here on a waterway that leads into the Gulf of Mexico, a beautiful little spot. We're getting some R&R. Judy and I just finishing our wonderful tour, 10 days intense traveling and speaking out in the southwest, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. But it's great to have about a week of being able to catch up on some of our sleep. And we go right to action tomorrow on Sunday at the Providence Baptist Church in Riverview, Florida. Well, as promised, we're going to get a Middle East news update from David Dolan. Uh, David is the man who has been a journalist for over 35 years in the Jerusalem area, in fact, in a key region of our world. And David, let me just start with this. Prime Minister Netanyahu, right after receiving the presentation of the Middle East peace plan from Donald Trump there at the White House, he flew to Moscow to meet with Vladimir Putin to explain the U.S. Middle East peace plan to him. Why was that the case? Why did he believe he had to go to Moscow to talk to Putin? Was it because the Palestinians want Putin at the negotiating table? What's the reason you believe? Well, Jimmy, that is certainly a big part of the reason that he flew to Moscow, because the Palestinians are basically saying, as we discussed last week, that they want Russia to take this on, not the United States. They don't trust the U.S. as a honest broker. In fact, the PA leader said that he totally rejected a thousand no's, is what he said, this peace plan. That's Mahmoud Abbas, the PA leader. And he said that they will 
possibly stop all security cooperation with Israel, with Israeli forces, if Israel implements any part of this deal. And we're already hearing that Prime Minister Netanyahu plans to annex the Jerusalem suburb of Male Adumim, one of the largest suburbs due east of the Mount of Olives and the Old City, just about three miles east of there. There's a tunnel, as you know, that goes under the Mount of Olives to it. He wants to annex that right away and start the other annexation processes. And the Palestinians say, that's it. If you do that, we're finished. So uh, to have as much international support for the peace plan as possible is obviously in Israel's favor, and particularly if it's Russia, because, again, that's the country that the Palestinians want to run to to intervene in this. It does show that Israel considers Russia one of its most important, well, let's say interlocers. They're not really an ally anymore, but the personal relationship between Netanyahu and Putin remains strong. They know that if anybody can scuttle it in a military way or support Iran and Syria and others that may want to do that, of course, the Iranian leader Ayatollah Khamenei this week blasted the peace plan completely, calling it uh, out of Satan's uh, womb, and we must do everything we can to prevent it. So, you know, they could attack Israel, and they would not want to see Russia actively backing that. So that's another reason. Plus, there was an Israeli backpacker, a female, that was arrested in Russia uh, carrying drugs, and there was a demand for her to be released and brought back to Israel. The prime minister was able to secure her release, and that was an important development for him as the elections loom in just over a month because the Russian vote in Israel is crucial to who's going to be the next prime minister of Israel, whether Netanyahu will continue in that role or not. And so that was something the Russian-speaking community in Israel was wanting to see, and he brought back this young woman on his plane to Jerusalem. David, in light of the fact that the Palestinians have already rejected the plan, basically without even reading the plan or knowing what's in it, the police were beefed up there on the Temple Mount because the Palestinians threatened violence up there. And also, what happened at the Gaza Strip? Was that pretty quiet, or did they get violent down there on Friday? No, Jimmy. Actually, all week, uh, the Gaza sector, as they call it, has been heating up. Last week, the Palestinians uh, resumed their balloon bombs. That had been suspended for over a year, but uh, incendiary devices, explosive devices attached to mostly hot air balloons floating over the border. A number of those landed in Israel. One started a large fire. One landed near a school. And then they uh, resumed a rocket and mortar attacks during the middle of the week, Jimmy, on Wednesday. We had attacks on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And Friday during the uh, weekly uh, protest sessions they have along the border, there were a number of Palestinian mortar shells fired into Israel. The Israelis responded by striking six Hamas positions throughout the Gaza Strip and said they're not going to tolerate an escalation of uh, violence. But it has been heating up. Of course, the Islamic Jihad, one of their top clerical leaders in the Gaza Strip, called for renewed jihad against Israel and, for the first time that I've heard, Jimmy, called for chemical attacks to be launched not only against Jews in Israel, but against Jews around the world. He said, all of our friends around the world, our partners need to get ready to attack Jews wherever they are with uh, deadly chemicals. So that's a, a new one. And then there was some rioting up on the Temple Mount on Friday as the weekly prayers were taking place there amongst the Muslims. The police had to be called up 
And that was after severe restrictions on who could even go up there were put in place. And, of course, as we discussed last week, Israeli security is continued to be beefed up in the Jordan Valley, in Judea and Samaria. They've brought in extra weaponry. Extra soldiers have been recruited. They've canceled some training exercises so they can be free for activity. So we are expecting more uh, of a violent response from the Palestinians uh, to continue. This is a very side issue that I want to bring to your attention, but I was reading where President Trump is endeavoring to push Netanyahu to expand the biblical borders of Israel as commanded in Deuteronomy. I see the Sanhedrin making that statement, a very interesting reality of what could be happening in preparation for fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Well, we know that President Trump hasn't been uh, for long what we would call an evangelical Christian or something like that. He's a Presbyterian and has been mostly just attending that sort of a service where Israel hasn't been part of the equation. However, Vice President Pence, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo, are both strong evangelical Christians who I believe, from listening to them, have a strong biblical understanding of uh, Israel's borders and the promises that the prophets revealed that the Jews would be returned to not only Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and Haifa, but the hills and mountains of Judea and Samaria. So that's where they're at. So that may well have played a part in this. But as I said last week, it's also just, in the case of President Trump, a recognition of what the reality is on the ground. There's no way any Israeli leader is going to be able to evacuate nearly a million, quote, settlers from their homes in eastern Jerusalem and the communities, the over 200 communities spread throughout Judea and Samaria and the Jordan Valley. It's just not going to be possible without massive internal upheaval. And uh, the Palestinians, according to the plan, can stay where they are, and they're going to be given extra land around uh, south of the Gaza Strip, uh, Israeli-controlled territory now that will be turned over to them, so they'll have an equal amount of land to what they've been demanding in Judea and Samaria. But, uh, you know, it's a realistic program. But, Jimmy, again, that religious core, that Islamic core that rejects any Jewish presence, any Jewish state, is very, very strong. One thing this is doing, ironically, it's bringing unity, Jimmy, in Israel and amongst the Palestinians. We're seeing uh, the PA and Hamas talking again. Uh, on the same page in opposition to this plan completely. And we see Benny Gantz, of all people, the opposition leader in Israel, uh, going to introduce uh, Trump's program to the Knesset next week. He's going to table it uh, and is supporting it. So he and Netanyahu are on the same page on this. Uh, Essentially, there's some minor differences, but that's about the only result we've seen that is different from what we expected. It's bringing unity internally to these two sides. And ultimately, the Bible does tell us that those demands in Deuteronomy, the land covenant there, will be fulfilled, and Israel, the Jewish people, will have all the land that God has promised them. We have about 15 seconds, David. Opposition from the Israelis on a two-state solution. Will that happen, or will that be a factor that may not let this peace plan succeed? Oh, Jimmy, the plan won't go all the way, I I don't think, anyway. But it opens the door after four years, especially for Israel, to completely annex all of its communities uh, without opposition from the United States. But, of course, that's depending on President Trump remaining in power as well. If Bernie Sanders comes in or some Democrat that's not nearly as favorable to Israel, 
then the whole plan may be dropped. But it opens the door at least for the annexation of some of those communities, and that is important. But there will be opposition remaining in Israel for any Palestinian state, no doubt about it. And that will remain until the end, and amongst the Palestinians, opposition to any state of Israel being there at all. Those are just two bedrock things that won't change. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, he's been doing that for 35 years. That's why we go to him on a weekly basis for his insight, input as to what is going on in that important region of the world. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad will join us at the broadcast table. He's going to go more in-depth on the Trump peace plan, what's in the plan, and how the Israelis are willing to accept it today. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving into our second half hour. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, located at my temporary studios here in Hudson, Florida. Now, normally, when we're at Hudson in Florida, we're at the Word of Life Bible Conference grounds, but I was there a couple of weeks ago to speak. We're actually at a beautiful little Aaron B located on the canal that leads into the Gulf of Mexico, where we're getting a bit of R&R. Thank the Lord for the privilege of being able to have a couple of days off before we'll be at the Providence Baptist Church. It's located not very far from us in Riverview, Florida. Pastor David Goforth has invited us for a one-day prophecy conference. You're invited to come study Bible prophecy with us. Hey, by the way, their worship service begins at 9.30 in the morning. They've reversed it, then a combined Sunday school class at 11 in the afternoon at 5 o'clock, prophecy Q&A, and the teaching service beginning at 6 o'clock. That's the Providence Baptist Church, Riverview, Florida. Come join us for the one-day prophecy conference. Well, a focus has been on the Trump peace plan as it was introduced at the White House to Prime Minister Netanyahu earlier this week. So I knew I had to go to Winky Madad to find out what his thoughts were. He gives us expertise to us an insight into what is happening as it relates to the Jewish state of Israel. Winky, at first glance, your thoughts on the Trump peace plan as presented earlier at the White House. 
Well, Jimmy, I think the plan in general completely upsets the entire past 40 or 50 years of great power intervention in trying to negotiate between the Israelis and Arabs a peace agreement. It finally sets forth some basic principles which Israel has been trying to put on the table, as you like to say a lot, and has always been shunned, ridiculed, degraded, and even declared irrelevant to what a peace negotiation should be. First and foremost, the fact that Jews actually do belong in the land of Israel, have historical rights, have religious and cultural attachments that are unparalleled by any other country, any other people. And this has always been sort of, even if it was acknowledged in any sort of way, it was really second or third circle elements. And so for that, we're very thankful, if I can speak on behalf of the state of Israel, to the president, to Secretary Pompeo, and the peace team led by Jared Kushner, Avi Berkowitz, David Friedman, and Jason Greenblatt. Uh, that's the first point that must be said is a big plus. The second parallel to that is the fact that Arab claims are put in their proper proportion in terms of refugees and in terms of all other issues such as Jerusalem. I think it really clears the decks and said, let's make peace realistically. Winky, you live in an area where there are Jewish communities in the ancient Jewish biblical lands of the Jewish people. Uh, That would be Judea and Samaria. You live there in Shiloh. As a Jewish settler, do you believe that this plan works for you and your additional Jewish friends across that area of Jewish communities? To be honest, there's still a long way to go, Jimmy. The first major hurdle, of course, is will the Arabs actually negotiate? They've refused to talk to Trump, I think, for the past two and a half years, uh, maybe over a year or more. They haven't talked to the peace team. They think they could be obstinate and continue their rejectionist policies. All other proposals that Israel made, whether it was the Alon plan, the Dayan plan, the Begin autonomy plan, Omer, uh, Clinton parameters, uh, I don't want to keep the listeners up too late if they're going to be listening to this at any other time. So I think that that's the first thing. The second, under what flag will I be living? The plan, I think, makes it clear. It says that we I will be living under some form of Israeli sovereignty. What becomes problematic is, can I get to Jerusalem easily enough? Uh, will my roads be passing through Palestinian state territory? But these are things that have to be worked out, and I'm willing to wait around and see what happens. I've been here going on 40 years now, Jimmy, coming, I think, up with 39 to be exact. I've seen a lot of things, and I'm willing to see what the future brings. Winky, you just mentioned a Palestinian state. Now, they want a state, but they seem to be rejecting the plan. However, do the Israelis want to allow for a Palestinian state? I think that most Israelis really do not want or think a Palestinian state will be a major contribution to peace and stability. I've hosted many groups from the diplomats, the journalists, uh, to people in the street who come, 
And I always tell them that I do not think this is a conflict over a piece of land or territory, but it's an existential conflict. Can Jews live anywhere in the land of Israel? And I'm not only talking about Shiloh, Jimmy, but I'm talking about Tel Aviv. And the record of the Arabs have been no. So, again, we come back to the major unfortunate position that Israel has been put in. I don't want to hide it from the audience. We have been the underdogs because the message so-called of Palestinian rights, Palestinian legitimacy, uh, self-determination has taken over the agenda. And uh, as I said in my opening remarks, what the plan does, first of all, is upset that apple cart of they have the upper hand in terms of principles, in terms of liberties and freedoms, as if we didn't have any. And I'm also going to say that I don't think the plan is going to be worked out to the Arab satisfaction, and something else will happen. Exactly what? I do not know. Winky, I also did not hear anything about, actually, the Temple Mount. I looked and searched, could not find any statements made. What should be the plan calling for as it relates to the Temple Mount? Well, Jimmy, actually... I managed to go very quickly through the 181 pages, and I found two references, and they're a bit contradictory. One says that the status quo remains, and as you and I have discussed this many, many times, unfortunately that status quo says Jews cannot pray. In a second reference, it says that peoples of all faiths should be able to pray. Well, I'm a person of faith, you're a person of faith, You're a Christian, I'm Jewish, so perhaps we two people of faith will finally get a possibility of doing something on the Temple Mount, which is of religious character. I had my priests and other people up there. Jesus was there. The the Temple Mount has a shared history through the three faiths. We should all be able to be able to respect it and honor the place and worship in some form or another. How that's going to work, I do not know. I like your positive attitude to the presentation of this peace plan from President Trump. However, since the Palestinians already reject the plan, is there really, Winky, any chance that it can come together ultimately? Well, let me put it this way, Jimmy. If I had been asked for my advice before they published the plan or any input, I would have said something like this. President Trump said he's going to wait for four years. On the one hand, I presume he, he presumes he's going to win the election, so he has at least another four years to wait. I would have liked him to say, if within a half a year the Palestinian Authority does not stop the pay-for-slay policy of paying for terrorists who, while they're in jail money for killing Jews, I'm going to take off a half a year. If they don't renounce the right of return of uh, Arabs into the state of Israel, I'm taking off another half a year and begin to press back, because that is also an element. It's always been Israel has been forced to do something. The Arabs just sit around and make demands. If Mr. Trump or his team had something like, it's four years, if you enter into negotiations within a few months, if you keep on holding things up, we're going to reduce that four year to three years to two years to one year and cause a little bit of pressure. I think that would have been a better American approach, but again, I don't live in Washington, and I don't have the president's ear. Yes, and that's a shame, because I would have loved 
for you to be able to give him that advice. Well, you and I both are students of the Bible, Winky. We know ultimately what's going to happen. The Messiah will come. There will be a temple on the Temple Mount. There will be peace on the earth, Isaiah tells us that. What do you think, though, in the next couple of days? And I'm not talking about just today and tomorrow. But ultimately, the future is absolute from God's prophetic word. But between now and then, it's going to be pretty tough, do you not think? Toughness is a possibility, but you mentioned Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 2 says that all peoples, all nations, will come to the Temple Mount to pray. I think there's another reference in chapter 50-something, which you probably know better than me. But we are opened to sharing and to including all, as long as everybody gets a chance to do what they're supposed to do according to the biblical prophecy. It's incumbent upon those who unfortunately have been very negative, have been very rejective of all sorts of political and diplomatic offers, who have been violent over the past century, to realize that they are fighting a useless war or a useless campaign. As you said, what is in the books is going to be, and it'd be better for all, even for their own benefit, which is, of course, the other element of the Trump plan, to economically prosper the Arabs who have been downtrodden, mainly by their own authority, who have kept them chained to this terror campaign against Israel and Zionism. So I hope they read our books like we read theirs, and they come to the realization that the better for everybody in this area would be to make peace. And Winky and I both believe the Word of God is absolute. It will be fulfilled. Winky, I had to come to you today as it relates to Trump's peace plan. You've given us great insight, my good friend. Thank you so much. We'll have another conversation down the road, I hope, real soon. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Very informative conversation with Winky Madad. Great insight as how the Trump peace plan will affect the Jewish people, the Israelis, and ultimately, is there going to be a resolution of this Israeli-Palestinian conflict as a result of the Trump peace plan? Well, I want to take a moment now and get the reflections from Itamar Marcus. He monitors with his team the Palestinian media in Israel, He will stay in tune with their print media, the television and radio media, and we catch him in Norway, actually. He's on the way to the airport, so you may hear some background sounds, but I thought it was important enough for us to have comments from Itamar Marcus. Itamar, you're in Norway for the purpose of addressing the parliament there. Is that correct? I had a meeting today with a number of members of parliament. We wanted them to understand where the money that they give to the Palestinian Authority was facilitating. Members of Parliament were horrified by so many different things that I showed them. I showed them children's programming on Palestinian television. I showed them children's programming on Fatah's Facebook page. And they are horrified. And all of this is indirectly being facilitated by the donor countries to the Palestinian Authority, including Norway. For example, what I showed them, a film that appeared on Fatah's Facebook page where children were told they are ammunition for Islam. Islam is the, the weapon, and they are ammunition. They just couldn't believe it. And this happened just two months ago on Fatah's Facebook page. So uh, Fatah, of course, is the main political party, the government of the Palestinian Authority. 
so that's what we did, and hopefully there'll be some action by Norway and other European countries when we save the Palestinian children from this kind of poison that they're getting from their leaders. This is one of the services that Itamar's team, Palestinian Media Watch, offers to the legislators, uh, the political leaders across the entire world. Of course, his service to us here on Prophecy Today is key when we're able to catch up with him. And you see, we're doing that as he's even driving to the airport right now. We needed to have his comments. Itamar, it looks like the Palestinians, even before President Trump presented his peace plan, the Palestinians rejected it. Why was that the case? Two things they didn't like about it. First of all, the Palestinian Authority rejected the American peace plan in advance because they knew part of it, and they knew that they were going to be asked to commit to certain fundamental changes in their behavior. They have to stop incitement uh, of their children. They have to take the incitement out of the school books. They have to stop paying salaries to terrorists. These are all fundamental things in the Palestinian Party. These are behaviors that they find important. Trump is saying before you can get a Palestinian state recognized, before you can have a Palestinian state recognized, you're going to have to stop paying salaries to terrorists. So that was the first reason it was rejected. The second reason it was rejected is the Palestinians want to receive, as really as the president, all of the land in Judea and Samaria. It's called the West Bank as well. They are claiming that all, even though historically they never, ever had that land, certainly there was no Palestinian entity ever in existence. There are hundreds of thousands of Israelis living uh, in Judea and Samaria today, which is our homeland, uh, our ancestral homeland. And what Trump came along and said is, okay, let's divide this area up. And so the Palestinian Authority didn't want that. They wanted all of the Jewish towns to be destroyed or given over to them, hundreds of thousands of people before still leave. Now, of course, that's not possible. The world recognizes that that's not a possible. So that's why it was rejected on both grounds. The president has put in the peace plan a provision for the possibility of a Palestinian state. The Palestinians have been asking for a Palestinian state. Why would they reject an opportunity to have such a Palestinian state, Inamar? Because they want a Palestinian state that can turn into a military state that could eventually uh, overcome Israel and destroy Israel. And I say this not because it's my opinion. I just tell you what has been said many times by Palestinian uh, leadership, and I tell you that the Palestinian school books as well and Palestinian children's programs talk about Palestine and the state of Palestine replacing Israel. So that's why that's why they're against this plan, because they want a Palestinian state that would, first of all, be militarized. He said that the entire Jordan Valley, which separates the West Bank from the state of Jordan, would be in the state of Israel. Now, that means that the Palestinian state would have no access to smuggling of weapons. They would be able to smuggle weapons from Jordan. They would be able to smuggle weapons from the sea. So for this reason, the Palestinian Authority is rejecting it. They want a state that's a springboard to attack Israel. They really don't want a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution, and that would be a Palestinian state called Palestine. Itamar, is there any chance that the Trump peace plan will work with the total opposition to the plan by the Palestinian people? There are two interesting things happening. A number of Muslim countries sent representatives to Washington to actually participate in the release of the plan. As far as I understand, 
Saudi Arabia had people there, um, and other countries. If the Arab world, if the Muslim world gets behind the plan, then it will be harder for the Palestinians to be completely rejectionist. The second thing is not the Arab world, but probably more important, is the European continent. If the European countries get behind this plan and tell the Palestinians that if you want to continue receiving our aid, our support, our political support, you have to accept this compromise plan. Uh, Israel is not thrilled with the plan, also because there are a lot of compromises that we did not want to. We're losing a tremendous amount of land, and it was part of our history, but we're saying, okay, in the interest of peace, we're willing to go along with this. Israel is willing to compromise the Palestinians have it. So if the Europeans will come along and they will tell the Palestinian Authority, you have a choice. You want to receive aid from us, you want to receive support from us, you want to receive our political backing, then you're going to have to make some compromises, and this is a very good plan to start negotiating about. So if Europe comes along, and if the Arab world comes along, Palestinian Authority could be isolated and could be forced into it. I think right now, uh, the United States and President Trump's great challenge is not to start putting pressure on the Palestinian Authority, but they should be putting pressure on the European countries, uh, like Norway. They should be putting pressure on the United Nations. There was a statement from the United Nations already of rejecting of this plan, and that's outrageous. They have to put pressure on the United Nations, on the European countries, on the EU, the European Union, and all of them come to the Palestinian Authority with united front and say, okay, you've got to compromise or you are going to be isolated in the world politically, then I think we have a possibility of some future Palestinian leadership accepting this plan. That's the voice of Itamar Marcus. He heads up a team of Israelis in Israel, Palestinian Media Watch, their website, palwatch.org. And we've been talking with Itamar on his way to the airport there in Norway, where he addressed some of the legislators there in Norway. Itamar, thank you so very much for giving us a moment to be able to talk with you to get this very important information. Have safe journeys as you travel back to Israel, and we'll talk again real soon. Thank you very much. Very important conversation with Itamar Marcus. Very sorry that we had a difficult time of having a good signal, but we did believe that what he had to say was very important for you to hear. Thank you so very much for suffering through that conversation with Itamar Marcus. I believe we'll be able to hear John Root a lot better, and boy, he's going to be almost shouting from where he is located around the world. We'll do that here on Prophecy Today, because Brexit has been fulfilled. Indeed, at midnight last night, the United Kingdom, Great Britain, withdrew from the European Union. Now, John, that's not the end of the story. They have about 11 months to negotiate uh, their ties after this withdrawal from the European Union. Talk to me about this a historic event happening and what's ahead for the next year. Yes, it's been three and a half years of turmoil in Europe over Brexit. It's a reality. And indeed, uh, there's little change until the end of 2020. There's an 11-month transition period, so we see many of the scare tactics were uh, innocuous. But it is a new day for the European Union, and we can expect now, without the British presence, that there will be even less democracy within the European Union. 
And so it will not be the same. There's going to be a shape uh, into a political equilibrium. They're going to work extremely hard now to rebuild their influence and to work to be relevant. And so the question is, what will the EU turn into now? This is a uh, inflection point. And as we know, we can expect eventually a political core. When you talk about a political core, what are you referring to? Well, I believe, of course, we have the biblical understanding that we will have a ten-nation confederation based in the location of the ancient Roman Empire. And so here we are seeing that the European Union going from 28 countries to 27 countries, which is official, we see that has reached an apex, and therefore we're having a new phase where countries will kick out of the European Union. Whenever the next one will be, we don't know. But we are looking for an eventual ten-nation confederation in the European Union as the beginning of this, which will be the eventual power base of the Antichrist. John, you have the heartbeat of the entire European continent, and that's basically where we have the European Union. What are your thoughts? Do you see some other nations pretty quickly getting ready to follow Great Britain and pull out of the European Union? Well, I believe that countries that want to uh, take a stand for democracy are going to be even more challenged now in the European Union context with, with Britain not being represented in Brussels. So Eastern European countries could sense some empowerment for national causes through this process. I do believe that we will see uh, other nations, as we say, leave, but the EU is going to scramble very, very hard to minimize the effect. I believe right now they, you know, the European Parliament obviously ratified the Brexit deal, and they, in a sense, would feel, let's just get this over with. But they will have a new agenda. There's no doubt about that. And so it will have to be gaining relevance by a strong politic that the United Kingdom would not adhere to, because there's an enormous democratic deficit in the European Union. So we can expect changes that transition into a stronger super state. I did see a headline, and it said, Missing You Already. And this was, I guess, from the European Union. They say how Brexit's going to tilt the European Union political alliances. What do you know about that? Indeed. Of course, Britain and France are the two nuclear powers in the European Union and the UN Security Council. So now one of those is gone. Britain was the only EU nation which was part of the uh, inner core of the uh, worldwide intelligence group called the Five Eyes, which is led by the United States. And so, therefore, we see a power shifting now towards France. The EU is said to be led more or less by the Franco-German motor Uh, And this has been since the very, very early days. The European Union was actually formed by France and Germany uh, in the very beginning of the European Union. So a power shift uh, will come to France that will emerge as a stronger EU influence. France, you know, throughout history and de Gaulle has not been very strong towards NATO. 
And so we could see very well that military issues could be one of the factors now in determining national attitudes within the European Union for sure. And many other balances that would have to be considered. Uh, Of course, the city of London was a very strong financial center for the European Union, even though it was not in the Eurozone. So it looks like with a vacuum created by them leaving, therefore we're going to have to deal with an entire new rebalancing, see where all the pieces fall and what will be a new equilibrium. After 47 years, we see Great Britain out of the European Union as they proposed several years ago. It's been a long struggle, but we've seen it happen. And as we watch all of this unfolding politically, we recognize the prophetic significance of all of this. So we'll stay on this story with John Rood in the future. Hey, John, thank you so very much. You finally are able to say they're out. We've been talking about it, but we'll stay on top of the story. Thank you. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. And it's just the beginning for what's to come. An unbelievable story that we have been covering for a number of years, actually, now with John Rood. The European Union, less one of their member states, now 27, headed down to 10. And that's Bible prophecy. We're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, David James is standing by. He's my last broadcast partner. We're going to be talking about the Trump peace plan from a biblical perspective. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung with the last half hour of Prophecy Today weekend. So glad to have you along. David James is standing by. We're going to have a conversation in a moment. You do not want to miss that conversation. May I also ask you to go to my website, prophecytoday.com. When there, you will scroll down on the home page on the left-hand side, and there you will find my poll question. Here's the question if you'll go there and answer it. Do you believe that the Trump Middle East peace plan is a fulfillment of prophecy? Or would you say that the peace plan of Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27 is the prophetic peace plan for the future? Now that's the poll question. Love to have you answer the question. Do that right after the broadcast I do not want you to miss the conversation that I'm going to have with David James. So glad you could join us today. want to remind you that we are going tomorrow to be at a one-day prophecy conference at the Providence Baptist Church in Riverview, Florida. Pastor David Goforth inviting all in this area to come join us as we study Bible prophecy. The worship service begins at 9.30. At 11 o'clock, the combined Sunday school class, I'll be speaking at both of those services. And then at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, a prophecy Q&A. Hey, that's a great time of study as well. You may not have a question, but maybe you will hear a question you wanted to ask, but were afraid to, and I'll give the biblical answer. So it'll be a time of learning. Prophecy Q&A, 5 o'clock at the Providence Baptist Church in Riverview, Florida, and then my teaching session at 6 p.m. 
I'm going to lay out a roadmap through history, show you where these current events are unfolding. We now bring to these microphones David James. He comes to the broadcast table each and every week to have a conversation with me as we focus on an issue that may be confronting the body of Christ, the church, so that we'll have a biblical perspective on that issue, which of course will indeed then enhance our walk with the Lord. The proposed Middle East peace plan in biblical perspective is where we're going to go this week. And David, I've been discussing the proposed peace plan for Israel with several of our broadcast partners, and it's certainly one of the biggest stories of the week and getting a lot of attention from all sides. What are your thoughts? Well, you're right, Jimmy, and as you can imagine, I've spent quite a bit of time following this myself, both on television and in a number of articles, as well as watching some of the reaction on social media, and there are definitely a lot of opinions out there across the spectrum from positive to negative. On the one hand, some see it as a fulfillment of prophecy, which I don't, by the way, and on the other hand, some have compared it to a proposal for apartheid like used to be in South Africa, and there's been everything in between. But even if we don't see it as the fulfillment of prophecy, I think we can recognize potential stage setting for prophetic fulfillment, because we know that this is all going somewhere in God's plan. And there are a lot of geopolitical prophecies yet to be fulfilled before the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation. And besides that, there are some biblical realities recognized in the proposed peace plan, which include the fact that the Jewish people have a God-given right to a large piece of real estate, much bigger than the modern state of Israel, and that Jerusalem is the eternal capital of that nation of Israel. You know, I heard from the Sanhedrin leadership, the 70 wise Jewish scholars playing a key role in the rebuilding of the next temple there in Jerusalem. They do believe that President Trump is pushing Prime Minister Netanyahu to expand Israel's borders to what is commanded there in the book of Deuteronomy. I thought that was very, very interesting. In fact, let's talk about this matter of the Jewish people having a God-given right to the land. How do you begin to lay out that from a biblical perspective to build your case? Well, after the Tower of Babel judgment, God raised up a nation that had never existed before, beginning with Abraham. And God made a covenant with Abraham that he put into place in five stages, in Genesis chapters 12, 13, 15, and 17, and which was confirmed to his son Isaac in chapter 26 of Genesis, and then to his grandson Jacob in chapter 28. And in chapter 12, the Lord says this, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, the first promise is that Abraham will be a great nation, and no nation can be great without land. Then in the next chapter, the Lord gives some details about that land when he says in verse 14, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your 
descendants forever. And that term forever, Jimmy, is crucial. Then God gives even more details in the next chapter saying, to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So we're talking about a huge piece of land, which by some estimates is several times the size of Texas, even though the present state of Israel is only about the size of New Jersey. I like the way you're approaching this, David, and the Abrahamic covenant is really only the first of four eternal covenants that God made with his people, the Jewish people. Take a moment and briefly lay out these other three covenants and explain how and why these are critical to Israel's future. The other three covenants are the land covenant at the end of Deuteronomy, the Davidic covenant in Second Samuel 7, and the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. And each covenant builds on one of three aspects of the Abrahamic covenant concerning land, descendants, and blessing. Now, in the Davidic covenant, God promises to establish a dynasty through David, saying that one of his descendants will rule from the Davidic throne forever, and this will be fulfilled by Jesus Christ during the millennial kingdom. Then there's the new covenant, beginning in Jeremiah 31, 31, where God says, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Then in verse 33 we read, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And once again, this will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. And then going back to the land covenant, in Deuteronomy, God promised to bring his people back from wherever they're scattered across the face of the earth because of his judgments against their unfaithfulness. And there's been a progressive return of Jews to the land for well over a hundred years, setting the stage for the ultimate fulfillment of those prophecies during the day of the Lord, which will include both the tribulation and the millennium. Well, that's very important what you have just told us about those other three covenants. However, a vast majority of professing Christians argues that Israel has forfeited its right to the land and the fulfillment of God's other promises because of her disobedience. How would you then respond to these charges? Well, the unconditional and eternal nature of God's promises to Israel can be seen clearly in all four covenants. First, in the Abrahamic covenant, it can be seen especially in the cutting of the covenant in Genesis 15. According to the customs of Abraham's day, when two leaders would enter into a covenant, they would sacrifice animals, placing them into two piles, and both parties would then walk between the pieces of the sacrifice. So they were pledging that their own blood should be spilled like the sacrifice, as if one of them would break the covenant. But in the case of the Abrahamic covenant, God put him to sleep, and only God passed through the sacrificed animals, meaning that the fulfillment would depend only upon God's faithfulness. In the case of the land covenant, God warned Israel that he knew they would be disobedient to him and that he would judge them, but he also promised that he would bring them back from wherever they would be scattered. In the Davidic covenant, provision for failure is actually built directly into the covenant, because God says even if uh, one of David's descendants would sin and be chastised, God wouldn't remove his love from him as he did from Saul, again making it unconditional. And with the new covenant, right after God lays out the covenant, he makes a promise, and I paraphrase this promise in this way, if the universe can collapse on its own, then the covenant can be broken. 
happen. So the bottom line is this. Failure by Abraham or his descendants will not remove them from any of the covenants, meaning that they are unconditional, they are eternal. David, a major part of President Trump's proposed peace plan involves what happens with Jerusalem. Building on the recognition, of course, of Jerusalem as Israel's eternal capital, which he made in 2017, and he essentially is making it Israel's undivided capital as well. That's right. The proposal would give the Palestinians just a few neighborhoods in far eastern Jerusalem, although they're apparently allowing for the status quo concerning the Temple Mount, at least for now. Jerusalem is first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis 14 as Salem in connection with Melchizedek, and it's first re- referred to as Jerusalem in Joshua 10, uh, verse 1. Jerusalem became Israel's capital around 1000 B.C. when it was captured by David from the Gen- which was a Canaanite tribe, and which we read about in 2 Samuel 5, 6 through 10, where it's also referred to as the city of David, as well as Zion in verse 7. Now, this designation as Zion is especially important because it's the place with this designation from where God is to rule over the earth. For example, in Psalm 9:11, we read, Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion declare his deeds among the people. Then in Psalm 48, verse 2, we read this, Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Now, the temple was located on Mount Zion, which is different than today's Mount Zion in the city of Jerusalem, Uh, and the location of the Holy of Holies was precisely where Abraham was prepared to offer up Isaac, and it's where the Shekinah glory of God hovered over the Ark of the Covenant, and it's from there that Christ will reign over the earth after his second coming. So Jerusalem is absolutely central to God's plan to establish his kingdom of righteousness here on the earth. David, earlier you said that you believe this peace plan offered by President Trump is not a fulfillment of prophecy. I happen to agree 100% with what you're saying. Although we cannot say that the present proposed peace plan is the fulfillment of prophecy, however, as many think it may be, we do know there's a prophesied peace plan that is coming, and that one isn't going to end well for anyone, is it? Uh, That's right. And first, I think there are several things that need to be pointed out concerning the current proposed peace plan. One is that it isn't the first peace plan that's been on the table, and it likely won't be the last. Second, this peace plan has already been rejected outright by the Palestinians. For them, it's a non-starter. And third, as I mentioned earlier, this peace plan maintains a status quo on the Temple Mount. Now, the Jerusalem Islamic Waqf, which is funded by Jordan, oversees all activity on the Temple Mount, including everything related to the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, which is sitting on the location of the Holy of Holies. Now, the prophesied plan, as you mentioned, that's in Daniel 9.27, where a ruler is mentioned who will confirm a covenant involving Israel and others for seven years. He will be the Antichrist, referred to in 2 Thessalonians 2 as the man of sin and the lawless one. And opposed to the present peace plan, which must be accepted, the future plan will be enforced by the military might of the revived Roman Empire under the leadership of the Antichrist, and it won't maintain the status quo because the Antichrist will over 
oversee the building of a third temple, which has to go where the Dome of the Rock presently stands. And when the Islamic world sees what's happening at that time, a coalition led by a powerful nation from the north will try to come against Israel, and they will be destroyed by God. And when the Antichrist breaks the treaty with Israel, he will go into the temple, declare himself to be God, try to destroy the Jewish people, and demand worship from everyone in the world. As you said, it won't end well for anyone. David, a great conversation that you helped us to have today here on Prophecy Today. A great conclusion to all the other discussions I had with my broadcast partners about this proposed peace plan that Donald Trump has put forth. It'll be a time in the future when that peace plan from Daniel 9:27 will go into play, but it seems very, very close at hand. Thank you so much for your research and the time of conversation with you, David. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, Jimmy. It's always great to be with you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey, everyone. This is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, our broadcast partners gave us current reports on events that are happening in this world. We need these reports each and every week. You know, the world is in constant change, especially in the Middle Eastern region and in the European Union as well. Reports from both of these regions 
are key to our understanding of how the prophetic scenario in God's Word is actually being played out today. By the way, if you missed any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. You'll be able to hear these archived reports. You'll be able to pass the link for these reports to your friends. Let them know what they need to hear about the current events that are happening in our world, giving us evidence of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. For example, today we heard from Ken Timmerman. Now, he covers geopolitical activities for us. His lead story is that Iran says that the Trump peace plan is satanic. The supreme leader, the Ayatollah, said that this peace plan is satanic, and you know, he is almost absolutely right because of the fact that there will be a peace treaty, not the Trump peace plan, but a satanic plan that is foretold in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, where it says, And he, the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant, a peace treaty, with many, the Jewish people and her neighbors, for one week. And that is, of course, the event that starts the clock ticking on the seven-year tribulation period. So the Antichrist, a man energized by Satan, it will be a satanic plan that the Antichrist confirms. David Dolan, he's our Middle East journalist who covers all of that region for us. He said that the prime minister actually flew to Moscow after leaving the White House and the presentation of the peace plan from President Trump, and he went to meet with Vladimir Putin in Russia. He went for the purpose of giving him a briefing on the Trump peace plan. Now, the prime minister actually recognizes Putin's influence in the Middle East. I believe this was a brilliant move by the prime minister of Israel, Netanyahu, wants Putin on board on this peace plan. Putin does want to be included in the peace process, and he wants to be the continuing influence among every player in the Middle East. There's a reason for that. It's Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 2, where Gog in the land of Magog, God the person, which could be Vladimir Putin, in the land which is Russia today. This is all of an end-time scenario that's found in God's prophetic word. Winky Madad talked to us more in-depth about the plan. He says it looks good, but... That but is hanging there, and we need to understand why Winky said that. He said there's no real statement on Jerusalem, and that's key if you're going to understand a peace plan between the Israelis and the Palestinian. The plan says that Jerusalem will be the undivided city. However, the Palestinians will have a capital for their state of Palestine if they earn that state, which will mean it will be totally disarmed, they will stop paying terrorists, there will be freedom of the press and religion, all of these requirements for a Palestinian state to come into existence. And Winky said that the settlers and others reject a Palestinian state, which the plan does call for, should they earn it. And the Israeli-Palestinian conflict 
has actually been going on for 4,000 years, uh, but the Palestinians are rejecting it. Ezekiel chapter 35 and Obadiah verses 15 to 18 say that they will wait until the end and at the time of the return of Jesus Christ to make any agreement with the Jewish state of Israel, which will ultimately end up in the Jewish state, destroying the Palestinian people as if they have never been. Itamar Marcus talked more about the Palestinian rejection of the Trump peace plan without even reading the plan. They will continue their armed struggle. That's what they're saying today. The Palestinians are going to have an armed struggle. They're going to kill and then steal the land. That's Ezekiel 35. Malachi says in chapter 1, the Palestinians will return and rebuild. The Lord says he will have indignation against them forever. John Rood came to the broadcast table. We took our eyes off the Israeli peace plan and we focused on Brexit. It is complete. The European Union now only has 27 member states. It's finally happened. Great Britain is out. And by the way, this could open the door for other European Union member states to withdraw as well. They have now 27. They could withdraw 17, which 17 are talking about it today, and that would leave 10, which fits the prophetic scenario of Daniel 7 and verse 7, and Revelation chapter 17 and verse 12. Uh, David James had a conversation with me about God's word and the four Jewish covenants. These four covenants are absolute. The Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 15, a nation. The land covenant, Deuteronomy 30, 10 times the size of the state of Israel today. The Davidic covenant, that's Second Samuel 7, Jerusalem forever, a temple and a Messiah there. And the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31, the Jewish people will be God's people and Jesus will be their Messiah. Now, there will be a peace treaty. Let me remind you, I said that, Daniel 9 and verse 27. That will be when the Antichrist comes on the scene, that following the rapture, and he will confirm three agreements already on the table. The Egyptian agreement, the Camp David Accords, the Oslo Accords between the Israelis and the Palestinians, and the Jordanian-Israeli Peace Agreement, they're all on the table not working. Antichrist will come and confirm them, which will start the clock ticking on the seven-year tribulation period. But before all of that, the rapture of the church must take place. And with what we've said today, that rapture could actually happen today. And having said that, Nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.